Hello, everybody. Welcome to Turfgrass Epistemology. I'm Travis Shaddix. It is Tuesday, January 9th, 2024. Thank you all for joining me. I am going to have an interesting day today. We're going to go over an article today that is um, questionable, to say the least. I'm going to show you an article today that is the scientific equivalent of a red herring. And uh, we're going to discuss what a red herring is. And we're going to discuss iron and turfgrass tissue. We're going to discuss what it means to be effective in terms of a fertilizer. What does that even mean? <clears throat> and uh, we're going to have some fun. I'm going to tiptoe around a few issues today, but. Um, you know, you never know me. I might get off on a tangent and set off some landmines. <laughs> you never know. First thing is about a week or two ago, I had some sort of problem with my microphone and apparently it was a firmware update or something and my audio was all messed up. So sorry for the last couple of days for blowing you guys out with audio. I think that's probably what you guys experienced. I tried my best to adjust the settings back to normal. So hopefully it's sounding better. It's not quite so bad. At the end of the day, we're going to have some music from one of my favorite blues rock bands. It's from their third album that the cover actually was banned on this album. But I have it. I have the non-band version because I bought it on the day it was released in 90... I don't know, 93? 94 is a long time ago. It was the first band I ever saw live was this band in 1990, I think. 91, I can't remember. It's been so long. Seen them a lot. I mean, a lot. We've probably seen them less than, I mean, it's less than seven times I've seen them through Oklahoma and Florida and all over the place. And the reason I'm playing them today is that um, they haven't released any music in 15 years and tomorrow they're releasing their first new song in 15 years. The Howard Stern show this morning played a snippet of it. And so it gave me some ideas like, man, maybe I should play some of their music because, um, they're, they're, I don't know if you want to call them back together. They can't seem to get along, but they're going to try to get back together, I guess. And they're going to have a new song released tomorrow. Nationwide tomorrow will be their new song. So I thought I'd cover them today. It'll be at the end of the show. Your Shazams will blow up in about two seconds when the when it starts playing. Very easy to pick out this one. Anyway, um, so that's what we're gonna be doing today. Tomorrow I'll be here at uh at what is it? 10 and then Wednesday or then tomorrow night I'll be here at 9 and don't forget to be on the grass factor at 9 o'clock on Thursday. Also, don't forget that on the 22nd and 25th of this month, so in a couple of weeks, I'll be down in Daytona Beach, Florida, giving some talks on turf grass at the Sports Field Managers Association. So if you're in that neighborhood and you want to come down and, um, you know, listen to me talk or give a lecture or whatever the case is, or you just want to go get lunch or something and hang out and chit chat. Feel free. Um, I will be down there from Monday. And then I leave on Thursday afternoon, I think. 
So that's, that's what's going on this month. If you're new to the channel, this is Turfgrass Epistemology. We go over turfgrass-related information, and we try to figure out how we know what we know about turfgrass science through exploring the scientific literature. We can go back. I'm on YouTube Live. I'm also on all the podcasts live. Or not on the podcast live. I tried that and it didn't work. But I'm on the podcast the next day. So the, the episode today will be released tomorrow on the, all the podcasts, all the podcast platforms. And let's see. I'm not missing anything. I think that's it. So let's get into the article today. I'll just say that um, some articles I go over, and as you probably can tell from the past, that I get excited about some articles that are really, really good. And I make a point of saying so. Like this, my, this is an extremely important article. This is, a you know, whatever the case might be for an article I'm going over. This is not one of those articles. Some of the art, I've gone over two or three articles that are um, e extremely bad. I don't even know how they got it into the scientific literature, to be frank. I'm going to go over one article in probably a month or two on humic acid that is just awful. It's just horrible. But hey, they put it in the scientific literature, and it's not in the scientific literature to collect dust. It's there to discuss, it's there to critique. And that's what I'm going to do today on this article. So the article today is entitled Elemental Sulfur Impregnated with Iron as a Fertilizer Source for Kentucky Bluegrass. We've been talking about iron for a better part of a month. We're going to continue that for most of January. And a lot of the, a lot of the issues we've been having are trying to get a turf grass response to granular iron. We don't see a turf grass response to granular iron in almost any condition except for extremely unique, rare cases. That's the reason iron is usually applied as a foliar, because it, it converts over to one of several species of oxide in the soil very rapidly. Uh, so there's very little benefit to applying granular iron. Even as a chelate, we saw from yesterday that, um, I'm going back to me, so we saw as a, yesterday as a chelate that even the, the chelates um, become or the iron in the chelate becomes insoluble within an, an hour or two, a, a great deal of it. Let's take EDDHA, for example. 50% or more of the iron in, in EDDHA will become insoluble within the first day, and then it remains soluble. You know, the rest of it sort of remains soluble for a prolonged period. Uh, but large portions become insoluble very rapidly, even in the chelates. So when they're not chelated, it's almost instantaneous. Ge geologically, it's an instantaneous oxidation. For all pragmatic purposes, it's instantaneous. And it's there no the iron in the in the salt, iron in the soil that's applied as a salt is, is not available for plant uptake. So whether it's a chelate or whether it's a salt or anything else when you apply it to the soil, it's you, you you it's not really useful. You could probably see a response at some point with a chelate. It seems like an extremely expensive way to do it. I wouldn't do it. Uh, I wouldn't apply any iron to the soil, regardless if it's chelated or not, just because it's extremely expensive to do it that way, and you can get a better response just from applying it to the foliage. But, I mean, if you want to put it out as a chelate to the soil, I mean, it's your money. But the question comes, and I'm speaking, in a, I speak largely when I opine on this channel, I speak largely from a pragmatic perspective. 
But scientifically speaking, strictly speaking, some of that iron will, could eventually become available if the pH is reduced low enough. Usually when it's reduced low enough to become soluble, you start running into other turf grass related problems. When I say low enough, I mean fours or lower before you really have, you know, much iron soluble for plant uptake. So, and as we discussed, the plant takes up the iron around the rhizosphere of the root by reducing the pH or, or releasing natural chelates. So that's how it takes it up. But in the soil, it's mostly insoluble. But some of that could become soluble if the pH is reduced way down low. And so the idea here, as I go back to the, to the article, is if you impregnated the, uh, you put the iron on sulfur, the pH around that sulfur granule as it oxidizes could be low enough to release some iron in the soluble form and be taken up by the plant and, more importantly, increase the turf quality or growth or color or whatever it is of the plant that you're looking for. So that's what these, these investigators did here. This is published in a journal, the journal Plant Nutrition, which is an incredibly bad journal, to be frank. It's one of the lowest tier journals. We would, I, I've never even published in this journal. It, uh, it's just not a good journal. Most there are one or two, there are several actually articles in the in the journal that are very very good. The the Lindsay Iron papers in the journal Plant Nutrition, but a lot of the papers in Journal Plant Nutrition have been rejected multiple times from other from other journals for some flaw in the in the methodology or the results or whatever the case is. And then they people end up putting papers in the journal Plant Nutrition, at least in turfgrass science, after they've been submitted and rejected by many other journals, meaning. There's a good chance, there's a better chance in this journal that the information is weak or the paper, the content is not very well done or very well published than say in crop science or grime journal or whatever, or some of the top tier journals. So this is the lowest tier journal that is refereed and I would consider a turf grass, you know, contains turf grass, it's, a turf, it's not a turf grass journal, but there's turf grass information in here where many of the authors will publish in here in other words it's not hidden somewhere that no one knows about none of the turf grass scientists know about it and so they stick stuff in there because it won't be reviewed by turf grass scientists most of the papers in here that are turf related will be reviewed by at least a turf grass scientist so i'm not saying the journal's invalid it's just the content in here is highly questionable just because it's in this journal and just because the journal's reputation is so so low so now that I've beaten the hell out of the journal in terms of its reputation, let's talk about the article. Uh, so this was published in 2012 by Christensen, Hopkins, Volley, Olson, Haskin, Haskell, Sheraton, and Webb. I only know one of those authors. This was done out in Utah. So I only know one of these authors on this paper. Not that it matters, but anyway. Let's get through it. And I will do my best to be professional as I go through here. Sometimes I fail at that, but I will do my best. The introduction, the title again, the title again is Elemental Sulfur Impregnated with Iron as a Fertilizer Source for Kentucky Bluegrass. Landscape managers spend substantial time and financial resources maintaining aesthetically pleasing landscape in which turf grass is a major component. Introduction, they're setting the stage. Billions of dollars are spent annually to maintain turf to prevent such injuries and provide adequate playing surfaces and conditions and all these things with, with you know, the turf grass. They start off, started off by setting the stage. Application of iron fertilizers also enhance color. 
of various turfgrass species. So they're talking about color and iron. Fertilizer containing iron is commonly applied to turfgrass, but is effective, but its effectiveness is questionable. Now this was written in 2012. By that point, there have already been a number of papers published on this. Um, you know, whatever. I mean, uh, there's other things in this paper I'm going to, to hit pretty hard. I would just say, I don't know if it's questionable. Maybe it's questionable if you don't know the literature. It'd be questionable. To me, it's not questionable. There's, like I said, there's almost no doubt in my mind that applying granular fertilizer is com almost completely useless because the literature has been that consistent. So, I don't know, whatever. So, we're going to go through here. You can read more of the introduction if you want to. Now, this paragraph here I'm going to talk about more in detail. So, most iron fertilizers applied to alkaline soils are immediately rendered unavailable to plants due to soil chemical reactions. That is true, as we've seen through numerous papers, including some of my papers, that the chemical processes that occur in the soil rapidly convert any soluble iron into oxidized iron. But it doesn't have to be in alkaline soils. This is a misconception and a misunderstanding of many, even scientists, as you can see in this paper, that, I mean, he's not saying only apply to alkaline soils, but you can infer that he's saying alkaline soils. You can just say soils, because any soil of agronomic importance that's within the pH ranges of, say, normal agronomic crops, say four and a half or five to, say, nine or whatever, I I just showed you was it yesterday or the day before where there was pH ranges from five point one to seven point nine and all the iron from iron sulfate oxidized within an hour. Okay, so all of it will oxidize in almost any soil that is arid aerated that has oxygen in it and is and has a little bit of moisture in it. The iron from iron sulfate is going to oxidize um geologically instantaneously. It doesn't matter really what the pH is. Okay. For example, and then he continues, for example, the common practice of applying iron salts, such as ferrous sulfate, which is what we've ta been talking about, to calcareous soils is ineffective because of, because of an almost immediate conversion of iron to insoluble precipitate. So that's, you know, that's what we've been talking about. It's true. I think we went, I don't know if we went over this Hansen paper or not, but it's true. The literature has clearly shown that to be the case. Although applications at very high rates to turfgrass can possibly overcome soil chemical, soil chemistry, and this soil chemistry effect. Sorry, this Minner and Butler paper in 84 we went over. It's not just that the iron was extremely high. It was also that the turfgrass was ex severely deficient and in, in likely exuding chelates to an extent greater than it would otherwise, which was, which was confirmed by um, Lindsay in his paper in Journal of Plant Nutrition, actually, by the way. So low iron, or turf grasses that are severely iron deficient will exude a natural chelate from the roots at a much higher rate than, than when they're not severely chelated or severely iron deficient. Okay, so it's not, it's not just that the rate of iron sulfate has to be so high. It's, there's many things going on. A better solution than high rates of iron sulfate is soil application of iron EDDHA or foliar applications of a wide variety of iron chelates or ferrous sulfate. And this is all validated in the literature, for sure. 
minimizing immediate iron soil reactions and increasing plant assimilation. So all that is true. What I'm saying, what he's saying is circumvent the soil completely and just apply it to the foliage, which is what I've been saying, which is what the, the literature and what I showed yesterday was the case. We applied foliar iron, foliar manganese and magnesium, all these foliar products. And we applied this, the analogous uh, uh, raw material from granular sources. So as a granular and a foliar. And we never once saw in two locations over two years any turf grass response to, to granular iron. But we did very consistently to foliar iron. And that's what they're saying here. This practice can be effective, but chelated or foliar applied iron requires monthly, if not weekly applications and consequently is labor intensive and expensive. <clears throat> I mean, I guess that's true compared to granular. I suppose it's going to be more expensive. But he's, what, what he's doing is he's making a case that yes, you can apply it to the leaf, but it's more expensive, and you got to use you got to use uh, different equipment. As you say, labor intensive, expensive, and you got to do it more frequently. So, and which is probably true. I mean, that's that's true. So he's saying, is there a way we can put it out on the soil? They're building a case to look at finding a way to apply it to the soil rather than the leaf surface. Okay, which is fine. Okay, whatever. You got to justify the work. No problem. A new iron product, elemental sulfur impregnated with iron, is, potentially is a potentially effective source for supplying plants with iron, both directly from iron found in the product and indirectly from microsite acidification. The objective of this research is to evaluate the performance of various rates and placement of sulfur iron, they're going to call it sulfur iron, Fertilizer on different cultivars of Kentucky bluegrass in the field and glasshouse with limited comparisons to other iron products. To this end, three glasshouses and one multi multiple site field trial are reported. So that's the objective. They're going to look at granular sulfur iron, essentially. And the, the concept behind it is the sulfur, when, once it hits the soil, will oxidize into sulfate and that process will lower the ph down to about one or two around that little granule okay it'll lower it very very low and in those cases it is you know chemically possible to solubilize some of the iron and i think that's pretty clear in the literature you can certainly look into it further if you want but it's, that's well below you know, the soil pH that you would normally have turf grass at. But around that little micro site, when you're dealing with very, very low pHs, it's very possible. Okay? That's the, that's the so, hypothesis. As we move into the materials and methods, this is a bit of a broken and kind of disjointed study. There's multi, kind of multiple studies together in it. And, um, well... I'll just explain through it. Just understand there's, so there's glasshouse studies, there's field studies, there's a number of different things going on here. In the glasshouse studies, three Kentucky bluegrass iron studies were conducted simultaneously over 178 days from October 16th, 2007 to April 2008. Okay, so it was only done for whatever, six months. In each study, five replications, okay, five replications were used, okay, don't worry about that. The objective was to evaluate the performance of sulfur iron, this Tiger micronutrients, iron 22%. I mean, we're going to look at this product in a second. From Tigersol. The objective was to evaluate the performance of this Tigersol. Okay, balanced sulfur nutrition 
this is going to be important because I'm going to I'm going to question this statement. Okay, as we move through here, balanced sulfur nutrition was maintained across treatments in all three glasshouse studies, including the untreated control by application of elemental sulfur at a rate of 123 kilograms of sulfur per acre or per hectare. So what he's saying is they're going to look at different rates of this tiger soul or, you know, yeah. And because they're applying sulfur with the iron, they also applied sulfur to the other treatments or tr other units so that any effect from the sulfur would be balanced out. And we would only be looking at the effect of the iron is essentially is what we're looking at. Okay. So in other words, you're applying elemental sulfur, you're going to lower that pH down. If you don't lower the pH down in the untreated control, then you wouldn't know if it's what it's from. They're trying to balance out the sulfur. Because you could, you could theoretically apply sulfur so high that you end up killing everything from the sulfur. Or you lower the pH down so low that it becomes two or three or four in the soil itself rather than around the granule, and you're going to end up having problems. So they balanced out the sulfur. Okay. I'm not going to go into other, the other details of this, but you can talk, they talk about the nitrogen rates and all this other stuff. Okay. We're going to go down a little bit further. And we're going to look at some of the, the treatments here in a second. Visual color ratings were made at least weekly using a scale of 1 to 10. Chlorophyll content was estimated, you know, using a chlorophyll content monitor. The turf was clipped twice weekly starting at 23 days. And went, so they did clippings, they did color, they did chlorophyll. Um, they, did a, they did a fair amount of, fair amount of work, okay. And you're going to see what happened here in a minute. <laughs> but they did a lot of work here, okay? And so let's look at the treatments. So they have these treatments. And here's the study. So a soil type, eh, where's the study? Okay, cultivar iron glass, iron glasshouse study. So they did one, two glasshouse studies, three glasshouse studies, and a field study. For those of those listening, I'm going to do my best to, to describe the table. It's table one. They have a variety of different soils and a variety of different cultivars of Kentucky bluegrass. And then they have, in the first study, in the glass house, they have sulfur iron or no sulfur iron. Sulfur iron was applied. The iron rate was 49 kilograms per hectare. Okay. So... And that was, that was applied in a shallow incorporation. Now the shallow incorporation is described down here. The shallow incorporation, the fertilizer was mixed into the top inch of soil. The deep incorporation was mixed into the top, um, I guess 10 inches or what is that? 10 inches or 12, 10 inches of soil, something like that. Okay. Surface broadcast was directly was direct application to turf and not incorporated. Okay, foliar, foliar treatments were accomplished by spraying or uniform leaf coverage in four applications. So that, and then the soil drench was accomplished by applying four applications of 50 mils per pot. So that's, that's, they have different incorporation weights. So when you see surface, we're talking about the top inch, deep incorporation, talking about the top 10 inches, 
and they have folder applications and so forth. Okay. Now, so the shallow incorporation of sulfur iron, which is in the top inch, was applied at one pound of iron per hectare, which is the equivalent of. figured out here of a fairly high rate of iron let me get this open here make sure I don't screw this up so if you do the math on um, 49 kilograms of iron per hectare it ends up being 43 pounds of iron per acre. It sounds high, but remember this was a granular application. Okay. But also remember it was applied with elemental sulfur. So let's look at the sulfur content of this, this product. The sulfur content of this product. This is the product, Tiger Micronutrients, iron 22% from Tigersol. His sulfur content as elemental sulfur was 55%. The derived from is derived from iron oxide and elemental sulfur. Okay. So the only way they can get the iron that high in this product is to use iron oxide and they're binding it with elemental sulfur. So if you're applying one kilogram, I'm sorry, not one kilogram, you're applying 49 kilograms of iron using this product you're going to take 49 and you're going to divide it by 0.22 and you're going to find out that they're applying 222 kilograms of the product per hectare then you're going to multiply that by the percentage of sulfur in the product and you're going to find that they're applying 122 kilograms of elemental sulfur per hectare so that's 108 pounds of elemental sulfur per acre okay so 108 oops i had 108 pounds divided by 43 is two and a half pounds of sulfur per thousand square feet okay now the recommended ranges for applications of elemental sulfur for ph reductions without killing turf for large, for like non-putting green turf, it's somewhere between two and five pounds per thousand. So they're right in the middle, two and a half pounds of elemental sulfur for reducing pH. Okay, so keep in mind, they're putting out a rate of sulfur that is high enough to have a profound impact on soil pH. Okay, not saying anything's wrong with that. Just saying that's the case at 49, 49 kilograms of iron per hectare, which is, you know, whatever I said it was, two, two and a half pounds of elemental sulfur per thousand square feet. So that's what they did on the first glasshouse study. On the second glasshouse study, they did the same shallow incorporation of sulfur iron at the same rate, but they also did some shallow incorporation of iron sulfate at the same rate. Okay. The soil drench at the same rate of iron EDDHA, and then a foliar spray of iron EDDHA. 
but they did a foliar spray at a lower rate, which is it's, it's expected. I mean, that's what you would expect. Okay. That's what I did in my study. Lower rates when you go out on, on, on the grass, foliar spray. And they did it in a variety of different um, Kentucky bluegrass cultivars. So what they're saying is, is that they did the application of sulfur iron at two and a half pounds of elemental sulfur per thousand. But they also applied elemental sulfur at two and a half pounds to the non-treated plots. They also applied two and a half pounds of sulfur to the iron sulfate plots, also to the EDDHA plots. That's what they're saying they did, which, you know, okay. I'll buy that for now. Very reasonable, very possible they did that, but let's continue. The next study in the glass house is a rate study where they did shallow incorporation and they did deep incorporation of only sulfur iron, and then they had a non-treated control. So what they did was they applied the same rate of one pound of iron, but they also applied, I'm sorry, one, uh, uh, 49 kilograms of, let me just do this in math. So 2.5 pounds of iron, uh, backing up, that's just eight kilograms, 49 kilograms of iron per hectare, which is one pound of iron per, per thousand, 43 kilogram, 43 pounds per acre is 49 kilograms per hectare, but then they bumped it up. So they did. 49, but then they also did a rate four times higher than 49 at 197. And they did a rate 12 times higher than 49 at 592 kilograms of iron per hectare. So in the materials and methods, they said they count, they balanced out the sulfur and the, and the non-treated plots by applying 223 or something kilograms of sulfur. I can't remember what it say here. 123 kilograms of sulfur. Obviously, you can't, balance, can't do that. When you have three rates of iron, you can't apply one rate of sulfur to the non-treated and account for all the rates of sulfur and all the treatments. It's fine, whatever. Sometimes that happens, okay? Generally speaking, what you would do is you would pick the highest rate and you'd say, okay, I'm going to pick the highest rate. I'm going to put the highest rate of sulfur on the control. That way it's covered the, lower, the two lower rates. But the reason I'm saying that the, uh, let's see, times two point. The reason I'm saying that I question this is because if you're going to apply 592 uh, kilograms of iron per hectare, which is, a lot, which is around, what is it, around 13, let's see, 49. Okay, so 12, so it's around 12 pounds of iron per thousand square feet as a granule. You're also going to apply with that 30 pounds of sulfur, elemental sulfur, 30 pounds of elemental sulfur. If my math's right, if my math's not right, check it. Let me know. Okay. But from what I can tell, he's applying 30 pounds of elemental sulfur to that high rate. That's extraordinary. And because that's extraordinary, I need extraordinary evidence to be convinced that that actually happened. Because in most cases, when you're going to apply 30 pounds of elemental sulfur, 
to a shallow incorporation, one inch, or to the deep incorporation, 10 inch, to turf grass, and then try to grow it in, you're going to have problems. Okay, or sod it in, or seed it, how are you going to try to grow it in? Or even if it's established, you're applying 30 pounds of elemental sulfur. 30 pounds of elemental sulfur on a sand soil, let's say it has a pH of 8, 8.5. You're going to lower that down to about 6, 6.5 maybe, 6.5 probably. In other words, that's a lot of elemental sulfur. You're going to create a tremendous amount of acidity and sulfuric acid at 30 pounds of elemental sulfur. So maybe they did it. I don't know. They said they did it. I'm just not convinced because that's extraordinary. And for extraordinary methodology, I need extraordinary evidence that that actually happened. What would I need? I want to see the soil pH after this study or after you applied that to see what the soil pH of that, that high rate of iron, uh, sulfur iron was. And then see the soil pH of the, of the non-treated control. to See what the pH of that was. Because I'm not convinced that the sulfur was actually balanced out. Because if you balanced out, if I put out 30 pounds of elemental sulfur out of my, my I wouldn't do it. But if, if, on my t if I did that on my tall fescue out here, I would be watching that daily to see at what point it dies. Because, I mean, it might not die, depending on the buffer capacity of your soil. Maybe it won't. It's possible. But that's pretty risky. And that what I'm saying is, I'm not saying they didn't do it. I'm just saying I'm not convinced they did do it because that's extraordinary. Okay. I mean, having said that, that's what the methodology says. And then they did an iron field study where they just did a surface broadcast where they applied it on top of existing turf, so the, just the sulfur iron alone, and then they had a non treated control. So they did all this stuff, all these rates, sulfur iron, EDDH iron. They sprayed some, they spread some on the surface, they incorporated some in the top inch incorporated some in the top 10 inches of iron, all this stuff. And we're going to see what they found. Okay, so before, uh, before we get there, let's talk about the soil conditions. The selective soil properties, the pHs of all these soils were quite high, 7.5 to as high as 8.2. So we don't have any sodic soils here per se, but we do have very high uh, alkaline soils, if not calcareous soils. I think he even identified some of these as calcareous. Glasshouse studies were 7.8 and 8.2. The field trial had a variety of soils that uh, had, again, 7.5 to 8.0 or something. Very high uh, pH. The soil iron on the DTPA extractant ranged from 4.9 to 8.7, fairly low. And sulfur was fine. You know, all good. Okay, so that's what we're dealing with. High, high pH soils. Very high pH soils with Kentucky bluegrass. So you would expect to see um, or they're expecting to see a turf grass response to applying iron in a chelated form or in, a, or in an acidic form as sulfur iron because the soil pH is so high. I already went through this. Treatments for the iron source. Okay, I already went through that. So I already explained all this treatment stuff, the glasshouse studies. Now, they... There is such a thing, believe it or not, as there's a type 1 error and a type 2 error, which is all very common. You're, at, you're, you're either saying something differs and they didn't differ, or you're saying they didn't differ when they did differ. Those are all type 1 and type 2 errors. There's also something that's very rare, which is called a type 3 error. And that almost never comes up in published literature because they probably rejected before it ever got published because it's, it's normally a fatal flaw. But type 3 error is essentially asking, or essentially saying that you're asking the wrong question, more or less. If a statistician's on here, they're going to laugh at that explanation of type 3 error. But 
in a rough pragmatic explanation, type three error says you're asking the wrong question. And in many ways, I think this sort of fits the bill because what happened was they end up doing this study on turf grass that wasn't iron deficient. It wasn't showing any iron chlorosis. So they're asking the wrong question. They're, they're saying they're trying to solve a problem that didn't exist, basically. So let's talk about this a little bit. Steps, this, this is entitled Steps to Enhance Development of Iron Deficiency Chlorosis. 50 days after treatment initiation, none of the Kentucky Bluegraft cultivars in the, glasshouse, in the glasshouse experiment had developed chlorosis, despite conditions that should have resulted in iron deficiency. Consequently, factors known to enhance chlorosis development were, simulate, were simultaneously manipulated beginning 50 days after initiation of the treatments. These included utilize, utilization of high soil moisture and adjusting water pH. Now, iron deficiency is typically exacerbated by the lack of soil moisture. The, the presence of soil moisture will reduce dissolved would reduce the the interaction with oxygen generally and in turn reduce in a an environment that is more conducive to reduction a more more reduced environment in other words because of the lack of oxygen as you increase moisture the fe3 species will tend to move more towards fe2 in other words, you've created a more reducing type of environment, a more reducing type of soil by adding water. So generally speaking, iron deficiencies are more common in drier soils than in wetter soils when, when, you're, when you're saturated, basically. When you're really, really wet is when you tend to see fewer iron deficiencies in turf. But they're saying they, incre they included utilizing utilization of high soil moisture. So I don't know what that means. As long as they say it around fill capacity, that's fine. But if you're going to push it beyond fill capacity and actually saturate it, you would actually be reducing the chances of iron deficiency in, in most cases because you'd be increasing the solubility of iron. I move on. In addition, the nitrogen concentration of the soil and the plants was allowed to gradually be depleted so that nitrogen excess would not mask iron responses, which I completely agree with. Generally speaking, we've seen in the literature that high rates of nitrogen, despite goofballs on YouTube telling you, telling you to the contrary, high rates of nitrogen will generally mask the iron effect. It's not going to increase it or make it double dark green. Okay. So he says this here. We've seen that in numerous cases, in, in numerous cases that I've already gone over. You can go back and look at those videos. High rates of nitrogen will generally reduce any beneficial uh, result of the applied iron because it's masking the effect of the iron. These induced conditions represent a worst case scenario for iron solubility and plant availability and should promote iron deficiency. So, I, you know, I empathize with them. They started a study. This is probably graduate student work. I don't even know. They started a study. You're knee deep into it. And suddenly you realize there's something wrong. And you go, well, dang, we, this should be deficient. We're dealing with pHs and eights, but the turf grass looks fine. Okay. I didn't say that intentionally. Now that I said it, I think that's funny. I've said that multiple times. The turf grass looked fine even at eight. <laughs> okay. But, they're, but they don't want that. And that's fine. I mean, you're trying to, to find, you're trying to show an, uh, if there's going to be a response to iron, you're going to see that. When the plant is deficient, you're not going to see that when there's no symptom of iron deficiency in the plant. So they're like, well, dang, now we're stuck. 
probably have a master's student working on this. They only got two years. They only got really one year of work they can really work on before they have to start writing. And they can't just go back to the beginning and start over. They got to figure out how to make this thing work. So they try their best to make the turf grass deficient. They, they try to exacerbate an iron deficiency in the turf grass. I'm not knocking that concept. I mean, that, you know, it happens. I get that. Let's go to the field study. A field study in which zero and, uh, let's say, four, let's just say 40, 43 pounds of iron per acre were surface applied to establish Kentucky bluegrass stands on eight, at eight locations with mixed stands of various Kentucky bluegrass cultivars was conducted over 153 days. So again, May 2008 to September 2008. So just one season. So they had zero and they had 43 pounds per acre. And they applied it to various turf grass, or various Kentucky bluegrasses in eight locations. The sulfur iron fertilizer was surface applied to establish sod at eight locations around Brigham Young University on, one, on May 1. Similar to the glasshouse studies, elemental sulfur was applied to the untreated controls at a rate equivalent to 123 kilograms of sulfur per hectare. So, yeah, to balance out the sulfur nutrition across all treatments. Okay, so fair enough. That's what they say they did. They only had zero and and then the, the iron, sulfur iron, so that's it's easy to do. No problem. Now let's look at let's look at this. So let me set the stage here. <clears throat> they have multiple greenhouse studies, they have multiple field studies, they have EDDHA and they have sulfur iron. They they've incorporated in the top inch. They incorporate it in the top ten inches. They surface applied it. They foliar applied iron EDDHA. There's a variety of different things. There's a lot of stuff going on here. Okay, on a high pH soil, in I believe this was actually in well, one of the studies was in yeah, Brigham Young University. In all here's the here's the results in, in, in discussion. In all four studies, fertilization with sulfur iron, iron EDDHA. Soil or foliar applied EDDHA or ferrous sulfate did not significantly impact overall visual condition, visual verdure ratings, so color, shoot height, yield, shoot root dry matter, rooting depth, or root nutrient concentrations. Data not shown. So what they're saying is they did all this work. Majority of it was all soil incorporated. There was one a foliar application of EDDHA. And nothing happened to the to the to the measure any sort of metric that we would be interested in measuring. However, they did show some influence on the turf tissue. Except for iron, shoot nutrient concentrations were also not impacted. So nothing impacted this the, the inside the plant except for iron in the plant. Nothing affected the physiological response of the plant at all. Nothing. The lack of response for any parameter other than shoot iron is somewhat surprising in light of previous findings of increases in yield and or visual improvements in many species. This is not surprising to me at all. I'm not sure why it was surprising to them. And that language in a scientific literature is very suspect. It's surprising. It's not generally accepted as appropriate language in the scientific literature, but nevertheless. Why am I not surprised by this? Anytime you apply granular iron 
I am never surprised that you don't see anything happen. I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> I've done a lot of this work and I have never once seen a response to granular applied iron in any form. Zero. I don't know. There's only one treatment in here that had a foliar application of EDDHA. Everything else was granular. So I'm not surprised at all. Now, the foliar application of EDDHA, I would be surprised to not see a response normally. But in this case, they stated the turf grass wasn't showing any deficiency symptoms. So like I've said before, if the turf grass is fine, if it's already very high on the quality scale and color scale, you, the room for increase is so small that any, anything you add to it, it has a very low chance of resulting in an improvement. It's only when the turf grass is moderately acceptable or even deficient in below acceptable levels. That's when you see the benefit to applying these elements. When it's already high and there's no deficiency, why would you apply it? And that's where I think, it's kind of a bad argument, but that's where I think the type 3 error kind of comes in here. You're asking the wrong question. You're doing a study on turf grass to look at iron response on a turf grass that is not iron deficient. Okay, I mean, I, I get it. I, I completely empathize, especially if it was a master's student. You do a lot of work and you're like, dang, didn't, didn't work. I, on, my, on my PhD work, I had an entire field study that took me a year and a half to set up. Had all these soil root zones and in the field and had all this grid laid out and just hours and out, weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of labor and work. And it was a complete bust. Total waste. And so luckily on my PhD, I had a tremendous amount of information from the glass house and some other areas that I was looking at. And so I was able to discard that and still have sufficient information to graduate and, you know, go on. But I get it when you're doing this field work or glass house work, especially when you have a fine limited amount of time as a master's student. And you're like, dang, we had a, it didn't work. <laughs> I mean, we, we set it up wrong or the turf grass wasn't efficient or whatever the case is. And in this case, the turf grass wasn't efficient. So, you know, I think it's a type three error. Okay, so in the, in the light, in light of the lack of response of any parameter other than shoot iron, emphasis will be focused basically on the shoot iron. So the rest of the, rest of the study, they're going to look at shoot iron. And this is where the red herring comes in. So what is a red herring? A red herring is uh, used in arguments to explain or describe a, a process when you're, you're uh, the person you're debating says something or does something that distracts you from the line of thought. So the idea is like if you're tracking down, I don't know if it came from hunters, I don't know the, the, uh, the history of how that came from, but the idea is if you would drag a dead red herring across the scent trail of say, you know, dogs that are hunting something, whatever the case is, the smell of that red herring will distract the dogs away from the scent trail on the track and potentially lose, lose the scent trail. That's my understanding. I could be wrong on that, but the, the, you understand the concept. The odor of the dead herring, dead red herring, will be will distract the person tracking down or whatever they're tracking down from the from the smell. And in arguments, some things are thrown out there, and you kind of get turned off on the left field. You kind of go a different direction because you got distracted from the from the main goal, and that's a red herring. Okay, so in the the rest of this study, the rest of this description is essentially the scientific equivalent of a red herring. So let me, let me go through it and I'll explain it. Okay. 
the cultivar iron glasshouse study. All cultivars showed a significant increase in shoot iron with addition of sulfur iron, averaging from 158 to 310 parts per million iron, or 0 and 49. So from 0 was 158, from, four, from the uh, 43 pounds of iron per acre, it went to 310. So you almost doubled the iron in the tissue by applying 43 pounds of, of, of iron per acre. As mentioned previously, this, increase iron, this increased iron uptake did not result in any visual or growth difference. Okay, that's one glasshouse. Increased iron didn't do anything for the turf. Iron fertilizer source glasshouse study. So the source, as with the previous experiment, shoot iron was the only parameter that was significantly impacted by treatment. Shoot iron content was highly impacted by fertilizer source. Uh, among iron sources, only soil applied ferrous sulfate failed to produce an increase in shoot iron compared to the control. Figure one. This suggests that Kentucky bluegrass roots were able to effectively absorb iron from the soil treated with sulfur iron or soil applied EDDHA and transported to the shoots. Foliar applied F iron EDDHA also resulted in increased shoot iron. So if you look at this figure, for those people listening, I'll just do my best to describe it. We're looking at a figure with five bars, vertical bars moving up. And on the X axis, we, the bars are none, no iron, uh, iron sulfate, iron EDDHA as a soil drench, iron EDDHA as a foliar and then sulfur iron, so the, the sulfated iron, or the, not sulfated, the elemental sulfur with iron. And on the y-axis, we're looking at shoot iron concentrations. So when we look at none, we're looking at about 175 parts per million of iron in the tissue when no treatment was applied. When you applied iron sulfate, you see the same thing. They're both, they're both bees. Nothing, the iron sulfate didn't increase anything in the, in the leaf tissue. Very likely, all the iron that was applied as iron sulfate was oxidized extremely rapidly, to the point where there was no difference between what was soluble in the soil from no iron compared to what was soluble in the soil following iron sulfate. Then when you do a soil drench or you do a foliar application of EDDHA, the iron in the tissue goes from 175 to about 325, and there are differences statistically. The sulfur iron, so the iron that was applied to the sulfur in a collaboration and connection with elemental sulfur was the same as the EDDHA soil drench, around 350 or so, 350, 375, whatever the number is. So we see the elemental sulfur in the iron prill have a similar response in terms of tissue iron as the soil drench of EDDHA and the foliar applied EDDHA. Okay? This can be con convincing if you look at this. You go, oh man, that's sulfur iron. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's good stuff. EDDHA soil drench. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, that's what we want. Yeah. Uh, look what the uh, shoot on you. We see increases. This is a red herring. I don't care what is in that leaf tissue. I could not care less. Imagine you're a imagine you're a corn farm. You're a farmer growing corn. Do you pay off your equipment fees and you pay off your mortgages on corn leaf tissue iron, or do you pay it off on yield? If you're a superintendent or you're a lawn care operator, how many, how many times have you heard a, a, lawn care, a, a homeowner or a golfer come up to you and say, you know what, that turf grass doesn't have enough tissue iron in it. I'm not happy. I'm going to get somebody else to do that. I'm going to get somebody else to maintain my lawn because my lawn tissue iron is not high enough. I, 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 you tell me. I don't even know if there's two people on the planet other than people involved in turf grass science that even know what we're talking about when we say shoot, shoot iron in the tissue, tissue iron. It green and no weeds. That's what people want. And what this is saying is 
nothing happened to the turf grass greens, greening. But well, what happened in the leaf tissue? Ooh, this went up. So let's talk about that. This is um, very dangerous information in the scientific literature, in my opinion, because people can read this, look at this, and go, well, you know, the sulfur iron, you know, tiger soul sulfur iron increased the shoot iron in the, in the tissue. So we definitely, you know, it's definitely good information. We should use that. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I don't, I don't care what the nutrient tissue in, in the tissue is, unless I'm trying to diagnose a problem. If I'm trying to di- diagnose a turf grass related issue, or I'm trying to confirm that, you know, I think this is probably going on. We took a tissue test and there seems to be some coordination or, co- you know, collaboration there, a corresponding issue, then it can help me diagnose issues. But we don't get paid on turf grass tissue nutrient concentrations. We, we get paid on, on producing a product that is acceptable to whatever client we're, we're working for. It could be the coaches, could be a homeowner, could be the owner of a golf course, whatever it is, whatever product they're looking for, that's what we get paid to produce. And if they came out of the, of the clubhouse and said, Superintendent Bob, if you don't change the iron concentration in this leaf tissue, you're going to get fired. You bet your ass he'd be out there changing the leaf the content of the, the, the leaf, leaf tissue. You guarantee he would, and I would too. That's not what they're wanting. That's not what they care about. They care about the, the, the turf grass color, no weeds, the quality. But the leaf tissue concentration of any element, to me, is irrelevant unless you're trying to diagnose a problem. Okay, or unless you, unless you have a, in cases where you might have a pre-existing condition, you're trying to keep track of a problem. That, that would be a valid use of leaf tissue analysis. But just to look at a leaf tissue analysis and say, yeah, this is an effective fertilizer is, is, is I think it's not a valid way to, to approach this. It's inaccurate. Let's continue. The lack of improvement in shoot iron concentrations with ferrous sulfate application confirms that it is not an effective iron source. It does not confirm that it's not an effective iron source. What confirms it's not an effective iron source is its lack of ability to re- result in a turf grass greening or growth or quality. You, you, could, you could actually potentially increase the color of turf grass by applying ferrous sulfate and not affect the internal iron concentration in the leaf. That's possible. If you sprayed out iron sulfate on the leaf tissue and it oxidized on the surface of the leaf and didn't enter the plant, but it oxidized on the leaf surface, it would give the appearance of a darker green lawn or a darker green fairway, even if it didn't enter the plant. So it would, be, it would have been, in my opinion, an effective fertilizer, even though it did not influence the shoot iron concentration. So this is not a valid a sentence. They're saying that it wasn't effective because it didn't increase the shoot iron in the, in the leaf tissue. This is not surprising as ferrous sulfate is known to rapidly convert to iron-soluble forms of alkaline pH. That's fine. Chelated iron is protected from reacting to form poorly soluble mineral precipitates and thus foliar sprayed and soil-drenched iron EDDHA applications were expected to be effective in providing iron to turf grass, which was confirmed by increased shoot iron. Yeah, it was confirmed by increased shoot iron. Couldn't care less. (laughs) I really could not care less. It didn't have... any influence on the turf grass color or quality zero okay so I, I don't care what happened in the leaf it could be argued that shoot iron detected via tissue analysis for soil drenched and foliar applied iron eddha might be due to iron deposited and dried on the surfaces of the leaf 
This is unlikely as the leaves were washed repeatedly with irrigation water prior to harvest. In the case of ferrous sulfate, oh, I'm sorry, sulfur iron, this could not be this could not be the explanation because the incorporation of iron into the soil occurred prior to planting Kentucky bluegrass and thus iron fertilizer coming into contact with the shoots would have been minimized. It's all fairly weak um, postulations, but whatever. We believe that although the soil-drenched iron EDDHA initially came into contact with shoots, the majority of the iron would have been washed off during repeated irrigations and would not likely be retained on shoot surfaces. Even though foliar-applied iron EDDHA, even for, even for iron EDDHA, the iron found in shoot tissue would be expected to be mostly from internal rather than external. The same reason I'm wondering if a reviewer actually called them out on that. They had to make some lame excuse. But the iron on the leaf tissue is very much a concern if you're trying to do tissue analysis and validate something. And there's only one or two ways to determine differences between what's on the leaf and in the leaf. And that has to do with some the actual um, uh, ratio of the actual Fe molecule itself. In other words, if, if it comes from a fertilizer source or if it's in an organic compound, those, th those can be delineated. Uh, theoretically, everything on the leaf tissue itself on the outside would be from a non-organic form or in a non-organic form. And everything in the tissue would be, or most everything in the tissue would be from an organic form. So you can, you can speciate that out. You can partition that away and out. I've never been able to do that, but it's possible. It could be done, but it's very, very possible that iron sprayed on leaf tissue is oxidized or remains on the leaf tissue, even after it's been washed with irrigation water. The oxidation of iron on the leaf tissue is a chemical reaction, a chemical stain. It's not just a particle or like, it's not like mud just sitting on the leaf tissue that can be washed off. Like you, you know that from staining concrete. When you stain concrete with iron sulfate, it's a deep chemical stain. You can't just go out there with, a, uh, with some water and wash it off. Okay, and, and nor do I think you can do that with the leaf tissue itself. Now, I... Uh, I'm going to skip out of this because we're running out of time here. But uh, table three shows the shoot concentrations from the various shallow incorporated and deep incorporated uh, iron studies. And basically what I wanted to show is, is that there's a concept occasionally where we want to deeply incorporate elements into the soil profile before we seed or sod. Particularly when it comes to phosphorus, it's a very common thought process. It's not a BMP that I agree with at all. If it is a BMP in any BMP manual, it's, I don't agree with it for many reasons, particularly with phosphorus. But we can see here very clearly with iron that when you deeply incorporate it, very little of that is ever going to get into the plant. A lot of it's going to be oxidized. It's not in, uh, in contact with the roots to the same degree as a shallow incorporation or surface, um, surface application of the element would be. And you can see that here from the one inch depth, you see 6,000, 4,000, 2,000 parts per million, and the 10-inch deep incorporation you see in the hundreds and 200s. So it's been reduced by a factor of you know 10x or 10 to 20x in some cases, okay? Simply because you incorporated it deep into the profile. Incorporating nutrients in any location in the soil turf grass system that, is, that has uh, any location in which the turf grass roots have not been um, populated, there's, there's no point in doing that. You have almost zero chance of taking it up. When there's no roots in the soil, you have zero chance of actually being taken up. So when you incorporate something deeply into the soil in a newly established turf grass system or you're seeding it, 
all that nutrients below the rooting zone, in the case of newly established turf, seeding particularly, the rooting zone is in the top millimeter or two for a long time, a week or more, week, two, three weeks. And then you start to get into the centimeter depths and so forth. Well, meanwhile, if you incorporate it at 10 inches deep, all those nutrients below the rooting zone are subject to oxidation and subject to leaching and so forth. Okay. And this is just a very clear exp um, uh, description or explanation where deep incorporation of iron had 10 to 20x reduced uptake than if you just incorporated in the top inch, okay? Because there was no chance to take it up essentially. Very, very, not no, but there's very few chance, very little likelihood of taking it up because the roots haven't got down deep enough yet. And in the time that the roots do get down there, this particular case, iron, has been oxidized. A lot of it has already been oxidized, okay? And you see that in both of these soils. So don't incorporate nutrients deeply into the soil unless it's like a pH adjustment. pH adjustment's different. <clears throat> but if it's a nutrient that you want the plant to take up, like phosphorus, for example, and I'll, I can go into phosphorus when we talk about that later, when we talk about deep incorporation, pre-plant incorporation, or after, afterward surface application of phosphorus, and you're going to see the same thing. You're going to see the, you know, deep incorporation or pre plant incorporation of things like phosphorus where you want the plant to take it up are not wise compared to surface applications following seeding or sodding or sprigging or anything like that, plugging, anything like that. Because there's no chance the plant's going to take it up when it's deeply incorporated below the root zone. It's going to take a long time for the roots to get down there. And that, in that time frame, there's a lot of risk involved with off-site movement. Okay, enough about that. The Iron Glasshouse study, both soil tested in the study both soils, soils tested had high pH, but only the Escalante sand loamy con, loam contained excess lime, calcareous. Yet the response to rates and method of application of sulfur iron was similar in both soils. <clears throat> As with other studies, only shoot iron was impacted by the rate of sulfur application, the rate of sulfur iron application, and the method of sulfur iron application. There was a significant rate by application method. Dramatic increases in shoot dramatic. See, we don't use this language. What is what is your definition of dramatic? Scientifically speaking, what is the definition of dramatic? This is just very peculiar language. This is the reason it's in Journal of Plant Nutrition, probably because this language is generally frowned upon and removed from higher tier journals. Regardless, dramatic increases in shoot iron concentration were observed only with shallow incorporation of sulfur iron. The lack of increased iron uptake with deep incorporation suggests that the soil chemical reactions likely rendered the iron unavailable. So that's what I just talked about, okay? <clears throat> So we're going to go, here's the, here's the shallow, more or less the same thing where we see, looking at a graph here, we see shallow incorporation, shoot iron concentration. The shallow incorporation was quite high on the shoot iron concentration compared with the deep iron concentration. The shoot iron was very, very low. I'm going to skip past that quickly. I think I need to move a little quicker here. Yeah, I need to move a lot quicker. Okay. So in our experiments, plants were less than one year old by the end of the study and were subject to relatively high temperatures. As a result, roots only reached a depth of five to eight centimeters. Meanwhile, they incorporated the, the iron. How deep was it? 20, 20 centimeters or something. The deep incorporation, oh, there it is, 23 centimeters. The deep incorporation treatment had the fertilizer mixed into the full 23 centimeters. Therefore, it is likely that a substantial amount of the deep incorporated sulfur iron fertilizer was never in contact with the roots. This is what I just said. Iron deep, iron deep mixed with the whole soil volume would have a greater chance to form insoluble compounds. So that's all I, all I just said. I can, I can skip past all that stuff. Okay. Uh, more shoot iron graphs between zero and, and 43 um, pounds per acre, where you see 43 pounds per acre of iron having higher shoot um, iron than the no iron applied. Okay. 
the iron fertilizer field study. These results of the field study confirm the findings of the glasshouse study. The application of sulfur iron produced significantly higher, we don't use higher, we use greater than, significantly greater shoot iron concentrations. This increase in shoot iron with sulfur iron applications was consistent among locations with no location, da da da. Fruits were able to, okay. Um, this, is the, this is the least, okay. I don't know if I'm gonna read all this stuff. Yeah, this is kind of, is like, yeah. Okay, nevertheless, we see that the sulfur iron consistently increased iron concentrations in Kentucky bluegrass shoot tissue regardless of cultivar soil type or soil pH, calcium carbonate concentration, or whether conducted in pots or glasshouses. These findings provide strong evidence that sulfur iron is an effective source of iron fertilizer for both alkaline and calcareous soils that typically immobilize iron from virtually all other iron sources except EDDHA. So, if your definition of effective is it takes it up in the plant tissue, then I agree with that definition. I agree with that statement. It's effective. Took it up in the plant tissue. I don't care. So what? So what? What did it do to the turf? Turf quality, turf color, turf growth, whatever. I'm not paying my daughter's college tuition off on iron concentrations in leaf tissue. Okay? Neither are you. So I don't care. It's just, it's a red herring. I'm telling you. They're trying to distract you and say, well, I should do this because the iron in the leaf tissue went up. Show me what happened with a metric that I care about. Turf quality, turf color, growth or something like that. However, these results also cast doubt on the common practice of iron fertilization to improve verdure or affect turf growth, turf growth. So they try to, you know, they try to, you know, catch themselves here. It is interesting to note that the iron concentrations in the study were typically lower than that reported as the critical level, and yet there was no response in terms of verdure or yield. So they didn't, they didn't find anything, regardless of what they thought, you know, was a good case scenario, good, good situation to see iron chlorosis. They didn't see iron chlorosis and they applied iron and they didn't see anything happen. So it went up in the leaf tissue. Who cares? You know, that doesn't convince me to buy it. Our results show that Kentucky bluegrass absorbed iron from elemental sulfur impregnated with iron as if was as, as effectively absorbed it as effectively as it did iron from soil or foliar applied EDDHA. These data suggest that sulfur iron as potential as a replacement for chelated sources. <clears throat> However, neither growth nor verdure was impacted by any treatment in these various glasshouse and field studies. So it has the potential, but didn't do anything with a metric that we care about. So, okay. <laughs> Whatever. In the glasshouse experiments, after no chlorosis development was observed, efforts were made to induce chlorosis through increasing soil moisture and changing nitrogen fertility conditions, which is what I discussed in the materials and methods. When there were still no signs of chlorosis, additional efforts were made to create the worst case scenario for iron availability through addition of calcium carbonate via the irrigation water and later directly to the soil. Despite these efforts, chlorosis never developed and verdure was never enhanced by any of the iron treatments applied. When they say verdure, they mean color. Even though all of the iron treatments except iron sulfate increased iron concentration to plant shoots, in fact, iron treatments did not impact any measured growth parameter other than iron concentration in shoots. Regardless of their efforts to reduce an iron deficiency, 
and iron chlorosis. They, they weren't able to do that. I mean, I get it. Like I said, I empathize with them. I, I would have tried to do the same thing probably if I was dealing with a master's student. They didn't see it. Nothing happened. The alkaline soils selected for the use in this study should be prone to produce plants that suffer from iron deficient chloro deficiency, chlorosis, stress. That's a hard to say. Um, and it was expected that chlorosis would develop with Kentucky bluegrass. However, chlorosis never developed in these studies. So a type three error is what I'm saying it is. You're asking the wrong question. Regardless of our, regardless, our results suggest that iron applications should not be included as part of a regular fertility program, unless iron chlorosis is confirmed through soil and tissue analysis or via visual response to a foliar iron chelate in a strip test. I'm going to come back to that sentence. Hang on. If iron chlorosis is confirmed, sulfur iron is a viable alternative to expensive and, and, and or labor-intensive iron chelates. <clears throat> so, let me back up one sentence. Our results suggest that iron applications should not be included as part of a regular fertilizer program, unless iron chlorosis is confirmed through soil and tissue analysis. Now, my question would be to these authors, how do you know from a soil test and a tissue test that the, that the system, the soil turf grass system, is deficient in iron? Because if you don't know, then that sentence is wrong. They're saying is confirmed through a soil and tissue analysis. Again, this stuff gets into literature. And next thing you know, you keep you hear it, someone says it, someone talks about it. Next thing you know, it becomes normal, normal language. Well, you should do a soil and tissue analysis to confirm your iron chlorosis. How do you know? Show me some evidence of what the what the iron in the soil should be and, and convince me that it's consistent in the literature, consistent across soils or whatever the case might be, consistent across whatever metric you want to come up with. Soil testing for iron is not a valid way of determining if the, if the soil turf grass system is deficient in iron. It's very unreliable. But then he says, via, or via visual response, okay, I'll go for that. I will definitely agree with that. Visual response of Iron chelate, I've talked about doing, um, mixing up small jugs of phosphorus or potassium chloride or even iron and having it available in your truck so you can spray little concerning areas with just phosphorus maybe or just potassium maybe to confirm if in fact, well not confirm, but to kind of give you a guiding you know, path is maybe that is phosphorus. Spray out the letter P if you want to. Dr. Soldat's done that multiple times. Spray out the letter P in areas that you think are phosphorus deficient. Come back in a day or two or week. See if you see the letter P showing up in your lawn. Spray out the letter K in other areas. Spray out the letter F for iron or whatever. The point is, you can. I agree with that. Visual response via, via foliar application is a very effective way of determining whether the turf grass itself is deficient in whatever element you apply. But you have to just apply that one element. You can't apply a, a hodgepodge and a Heinz 57 mixture of all this stuff. You have to apply just that one element. Okay. The 43 pounds of iron per acre rate seemed effective at getting iron into the plant, especially when surface applied. However, recommended rates could not be developed due to a lack of growth or verter response. Additional studies, prefer, preferably at lower rates, need to be conducted to fine-tune the optimum rate. I don't know how you'd fine-tune any rate in this study. There was never a response to it, so I wouldn't 
lower rates or higher rates is irrelevant in my opinion. So you didn't, you didn't, uh, do this on a, on a, in a location that was, is conducive to seeing a response. And I get it. I mean, you got new correlation and calibration work all the time. And sometimes you have the wrong spot. You're going to do a a correlation work on potassium with soil potassium levels in the hundreds. You're not going to see, you pick the wrong spot. You're not going to see a response to potassium. You have to get the right spot. It took me how many years to find a spot for sulfur deficiency? And even that one spot was deficient one year, and the next year I didn't see much. Okay, so you have to do the study on the right population. And in this particular study, I'll give them all, all the kudos in the world for working with a master student, or even if it's a PhD student, trying to get them through. They can't, can't go back and start from zero when they're already a year and a half in. I get that. Um, but when you're doing work like this, and you put it in the literature, and you say this is an effective fertilizer. The tiger soul iron, micronutrient iron, is an effective fertilizer because it increases iron in the leaf tissue of turf grass. That can get out, and people start believing that. And it might, it might result in a turf grass greening. It might. It might increase the quality of the, of the turf grass in some situations. I have no idea. That's the point. I have no idea. So until I see evidence to convince me, I'm not convinced, and I wouldn't use it. It's that, it's that simple. I don't care what happens in the leaf tissue. Okay. So that's, that's a, that's sort of the, the summarization of a red herring. We want to look at turf quality. We want to look at yield. We want to look at color. We want to look at all these metrics because those are what pay the bills. That's what Mrs. Jones is looking at. The color of her yard, the quality of her yard. That's what, you know, Turf, you know, the, the pro at the, the the clubhouse is looking at. Well, I'm, I'm looking at fairway over in number eight. It looks horrible. You know, it doesn't look green enough, or it doesn't. It's not growing at the right rate. Those are what we want to measure. Those are what we're we're interested in seeing if the if the treatments, particularly nutri- nutrient applications, are going to impact. Don't be uh, don't be distracted by these red herrings that say, well, the iron in the tissue went up. So maybe we should use it. Okay. That's my take on that. I'm going to go through the, uh, the chat and see if there's anything that you all want me to address. And then I will put on some, some tunes and see you guys tomorrow. Uh, let's go through the chat. Anything you guys want me to talk about, you guys might want to put it in the chat now. Good morning, Aldo. Rich the long guy. Striper man. Oh yeah. By the way, um, I got a, I got a, a comment from a striper man today was saying that he, he put something in the uh, comments and it didn't show up. This has happened multiple times with me. I want to let everybody know that I'll get, when someone sits a con sends a comment on one of my videos, it emails me and it says, Hey, someone so left a comment and I see the comment in my email and then I go to the video and it's not there. And then, then some people think it got deleted. I don't delete anything unless it, vul- I mean, I, I haven't yet, but if it's something vulgar or something, I would, I would I don't delete anything, but for some reason, I don't know why YouTube filters stuff out automatically and it doesn't get in. And, uh, so I wanted to make a point of saying that. So if you don't see your comment, don't be offended by it. It's not because I removed it or anything. And, you know, I'm happy to talk about anything. Uh, but I think it's something to do with YouTube, but Stropper man sent me a video and, and, uh, it's a good video. So I appreciate that. The, the <laughs> Um, okay. Tiger 90 is my method. <laughs> okay. So, 
Are, I don't know what you mean, Randy, when you say... Oh, you're talking to Aldo. Never mind. I'll skip that. That's good that you mentioned the other people, so I know you're not talking to me. Yeah. Um, morning, Polo. Chuck. <laughs> Polo says, my iron in my tissue is low. You're fired. Yeah. I just never seen that. And when the, in the, the when the time comes when our clientele are interested in iron the tissue, then then we'll come back to articles like this and say, "Yep, do that," because it'll increase iron in the tissue. Until then, it's uh, it's irrelevant to me. Okay, guys, I'll be back tomorrow morning at ten, and then tomorrow night I'll do two tomorrow. Tomorrow night at nine, and then uh, the Grass Factor on Thursday. Don't forget, I'm in um, Daytona Beach talking to the Sports Surf people in uh, January twenty second, twenty fifth. If you want to come down and join me. Until then, guys, I'm going to let you go. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye.